The yeas are 230, the nays are 197, present is one. Article one is adopted. On this vote, the yeas are 229, the nays are 198, present is one. Article two is adopted. I'm Ezra Klein, and this is Impeachment Explained. As of this week, President Donald Trump has been officially impeached by the House of Representatives. This is a week that it happened. He is now the third president in American history to be impeached. Um, I think you should properly understand Richard Nixon as having been impeached, but technically he wasn't. He resigned before the House voted, although he is the only president ever actually driven from office by impeachment proceedings. But President Donald Trump... He is the third president to be impeached. He joins Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton. And so this is a big week. Um, I'm going to be joined in a second by Matt Iglesias to talk about the events of this week. And then after that, we did something a little different uh, this week. We partnered with uh, Michael Perry from the research firm Perry Undum to hold a focus group of voters, undecided voters mainly, in New Cumberland, Pennsylvania, to try to understand how the things we talk about on this podcast every week, the things you hear about when you turn on cable news or read the paper or read Vox— how they're filtering out, how are people experiencing them, particularly people who might actually be persuadable in all of this. And I think that the I think the results of that are pretty telling. Um, I'll have more to say about that in a little bit. And then at the end, I have some reflections both on the focus group and the events of the week. So we'll get to that then. But first, I'm joined by Matt Iglesias. Let's start before the impeachment vote itself. Uh, I know you were watching a lot of the speeches. I was watching a lot of the speeches. What did you see in the procession of 90-second, two-minute statements all throughout the House debate? What did, what did it make you think? What was striking about it is that Democrats basically all have one thing to say, you know, which is that Trump abused his power, leaning on the Ukrainian government to try to gin up kind of fake dirt on Joe Biden. And Republicans are sort of all over the map. And to an extent, that's the privilege of being the defense, is that you don't need to offer a single unitary theory of the case. You can come at it from a million different directions as long as you just sort of all reach the conclusion, like, this is fine. Uh, but but that, to me, was the biggest kind of contrast there, was the sheer range of different takes that Republicans offered. Do you want to just run through what some of them were? I mean, I saw he didn't do it. He did do it, but not in a bad way. What he did was fine. This isn't about Ukraine. You just hate Donald Trump. The process here is unfair. You just are trying to nullify an election. Those were the big ones I saw. I mean, the most striking thing to me is that on the one hand, you have a group of Republicans who are saying, look, there's no there there because the aid eventually went through. And on the other hand, you have a group of Republicans saying, no, 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 it was completely correct to hold up the aid to try to get this Burisma investigation done. Like directly contradictory theories of what happened and how we should understand this situation. Uh, that to me was the sort of most striking thing. Then you also had the like, we haven't heard witnesses, but also they don't want to put the witnesses forward. But I mean, just like fundamentally from Donald Trump himself and from his Republican allies, there's no sort of coherent understanding of like, well, was it good 
to hold this aid up? Or was that, in fact, a mistake, but it's okay because now the aid went through? So the vote then happens. Um, Donald Trump is now impeached. He's impeached on both articles. But you had an overwhelmingly party-line vote, although Republicans are calling that there were somewhat more Democratic defections than Republican defections. How did you read the actual vote breakdown? Everybody knows there's a lot of polarization in America today. You know, uh, what's amazing is how heavily loaded this particular vote was, that both Justin Amash and uh, Jeff Van Drew are actually leaving their respective political parties over this. And that's kind of amazing to me. I mean, it's not unusual to have party line votes these days. And it's also not shocking to have the occasional member dissent from something or other. Uh, But the idea that supporting Donald Trump is so foundational to what it means to be a Republican, that if you're not for impeaching as a Democrat, then regardless of how you stood on minimum wage or abortion or anything else, you're going to become a Republican now, and that Amash is going to be thrown out of the party over this, that's like a new development. So what happens now? There's a fight over whether or not or a dispute over whether or not Nancy Pelosi is going to send the articles of impeachment to the Senate, which just strikes me as a very strange. I can understand having done a slower impeachment so you don't give it to Mitch McConnell so quickly. And I can understand giving it to Mitch McConnell quickly so you just get impeachment done. But this is a little bit of a weird equilibrium to potentially fall into. Yeah, I mean, I I think it sort of doesn't matter. It's going to be the holidays. The Senate's not actually going to be in session. Uh, Some people came up with this galaxy brain idea that if Pelosi doesn't send the articles over, we can have more of a debate about the process. Because McConnell, it seems like, wants to just sort of tank this in the Senate. Democrats would like to make some political hay out of that fact. Uh, There's a thought that this will help them make some hay. I'm a little skeptical that it really will. On the other hand, I assume her thinking is like, well, why not give it a shot? It's not like the trial would start on Monday anyway. Uh, so, you know, she can she can try this if some people in her caucus think it's a good idea. And if it's not achieving anything by January 4th, she can just change her mind. And so the concern here, to just be very clear about it, is there's a proposal from uh, Minority Leader Schumer that there'd be witnesses called, there'd be more of a trial, something that has um, structure to it that does more fact-finding. McConnell has gone on Fox News. He said that um, he is going to do this in direct consultation with the president's lawyers, that there's going to be no daylight between him and the White House. He said that the House is trying to get him to do the fact-finding they didn't do, which they did not do more because Donald Trump um, withheld that, and that's the second article of impeachment. So there's a fear here that what's going to happen is this goes to the Senate, and McConnell just like like basically calls a vote, and the vote says Donald Trump is acquitted. Yeah, that, you know, that there's no there's no more to this. And of course, this was always the risk of impeachment, right, is that even during the Clinton impeachment, when Republicans didn't have the votes, Republicans did control the Senate. So they controlled the process and they could at least hold out the hope that they were going to structure a trial that was going to win the public over or accomplish something for them. Uh, that didn't work um, and it was a little bit goofy, but, you know, it it made sense, at least on the logical level. Whereas here, that's not the case, right? Uh, Republicans control the Senate, and obviously Republicans don't want to organize the trial in a way that makes them look bad, and it's entirely up to them what they do. So to the extent that Democrats are hoping to reap some kind of gains from the impeachment process, their chance really was those hearings in the Intelligence Committee. And once they decided to sort of move forward, they were 
out of time. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the caucus has been very divided on impeachment for months now, going back to even before these Ukraine revelations. And, you know, there's just a, a, a difference of opinion as to whether it is good to keep talking about this for a long time or whether Democrats want to get it over with. And Pelosi is right now trapped a little bit between those instincts and is doing a little bit of a delay. But I think ultimately she has to kick it to the Senate and then McConnell, you know, will shut it down if that's what he wants to do. I watched the House and I found it depressing and a little scary in a way that it wasn't something I didn't know about politics and obviously wasn't something I haven't been covering like every week on this podcast that you haven't covered, you know, every day on the site. But to actually watch Republican after Republican after Republican come up and in a lot of cases just talk nonsense, but to also recognize and we'll have a focus group that people are going to hear after this where you can hear like this actually happened in real time, but to just recognize how impenetrable that debate would be if you were just tuning into it, if you like had not read the call record, if you had not like watched the hearings and the, you know, fact finding in the intelligence committee and so on. And then to see Republicans stand up and compare it, you know, say even Pontius Pilate gave Jesus Christ the opportunity to face his accusers. There was something about it when you really saw it laid bare just how impenetrable the divide in our politics is. And I don't mean that in a both sides are equal way. I mean it in a both sides are not equal way that I certainly walked away from that. And it's a little bit compounded by knowing what's going to happen in the Senate whenever they get whenever they get the articles where you're just a little bit like, what's the point? Yes. I mean, I think there is a good question as to what the point is. Um, you know, I, I think Democrats, for better or worse, decided that they did not want to continue pressing forward with a quest for additional facts, right? They decided that they had, to their own satisfaction, demonstrated that Trump had abused his his powers. Uh, I think that is true, that 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 happened. Uh, but then they moved out of the sort of phase of the process where you could imagine things making an impression on the public. I mean, I thought those hearings, um, you know, they had their tedious moments, they had their impenetrable moments, but they were fundamentally very powerful. You know, you had people uh, sitting there under counsel asking questions. You had dramatic moments. You had bits of people, you know, contradicting each other. There was there was real, you know, political theater in the best possible sense. You go to a House debate and it's just people standing up for two minutes and they can say, you know, any kind of nonsense they want to. Uh, it's not edifying at all. And anyone who's ever seen Congress, quote unquote, debate anything would have predicted that. And, you know, I think it's just become clear that the public I don't want to say that the public doesn't care about these charges, but it's that the public doesn't care about them in an incremental way, right? There wasn't a group of people who were enthusiastic about Donald Trump back in May, but who are now suddenly incredibly troubled by the prospect that he did something shady with the government of Ukraine. And that's Democrats' fundamental problem here. Yeah, the, the, the grooves in politics are just very deep. And, and again, I want to be clear that there wasn't anything we saw there that was not everything you would have predicted from the beginning, right? Like the, just the grooves of polarization are very deep. But every week I sit down to do this podcast and I try to figure out how is there something to say here that is bigger and different than this doesn't work if you don't have, and I mean here this by this political system, accountability, the whole thing. Like it doesn't work if you don't have two parties willing to make it work. If you don't have parties that are willing to operate not just as coalitions trying to take power, but as like 
actors, institutional actors in a game that is meant to go long beyond them and that has like sort of some level of rules and and and, and boundaries to it. And I think that if you watched that day, like what you saw was even in a pretty extreme case with a president who has acted the way Donald Trump has acted, who has done the things he has done, who it's as clear that he was part of something that was an abuse of power as it is here, or I mean, just like literally he's admitted it and then redid it on television when he asked on television Ukraine and China to investigate Joe Biden, that it just doesn't, like the Republican Party is happy to say, that's fine. Like that was a totally fine thing to do. We're just going to move, we're going to move on here. And, you know, I keep thinking about, well, what if you get like not a lazy, disinterested, crude demagogue or would-be strongman, but somebody who actually knows what the hell they're doing and does it with some minimum level of strategy, that there is no immune system, there is no defense system in our political system in the way that, you know, you were saying earlier, Van Drew, you know, switched parties to vote against impeachment, um, Amash left his party to vote for it. The reason Nixon was forced out of office was that Republicans were willing to go at him and say, you got to leave. Um, I think today Nixon clearly just survives. He just like runs right through that. And that's a pretty scary fact to reveal about the system. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the big underlying premises of the American constitutional order is that members of Congress will, of course, act as um, people who believe in the substantive causes they believe in, but that they will also act as guardians of the institution that they personally belong to. So you're supposed to be mad as a member of Congress that the president is screwing around with duly appropriated monies. Right. Like you were supposed to think separate from how you feel about the president or even how you feel about that particular appropriation. You're supposed to jealously guard Congress's institutional prerogatives and there should be a backlash to messing with them. And you increasingly have a politics where that's not the case, where, you know, the president is the big dog on team president and then his own party senators and House members are just the kind of junior players on that same team with completely aligned interests and and ideas. And that makes, you know, the the impeachment concept not function. Uh, You just need to retain the support of your party. You need to be doing things, broadly speaking, in governance that they agree with. And Trump, you know, Trump is doing that. Uh, To strike a slightly optimistic tone, though, it's interesting to me that, you know, contrary to the prediction that impeaching Trump would mean nothing gets done in Congress. Uh, During this same week, we had a substantive deal on the USMCA trade agreement. We had substantive agreement on um, government funding levels, uh, some real changes, creating a space force, paid leave for federal workers. So on one level, the stark polarization on impeachment seems to have created cover for members of Congress to, like, do deals and actually legislate. Matt Iglesias, thank you very much. Thank you. Coming up next is the focus group we held with Perry Undum Research Group with Michael Perry uh, in New Cumberland, Pennsylvania, of undecided voters, or at least voters who were not decided on who they will vote for. I think you can hear in here that like a lot of people who are undecided voters or independent voters, it's clear to them or a lot of them who they will not be voting for. But but the question of the affirmative is a little bit more unclear. And this was about impeachment. This was about what they were hearing. We we held this right in in a kind of middle point. So after the Judiciary Committee had voted to clear the articles of impeachment, but before the actual overall House vote, 
Um, a lot of people thought the house vote had already happened or thought those two things were collapsed. So I think actually the opinions we got in that are going to be pretty stable. I want to be clear, and I'll have a lot more to say about what I think is revealed by this focus group at the end of it. But I want to be clear, this is not a representative thing of the entire country. My point here is not that you should take the words of this handful of people as oracles. It's more to take some time, and I've certainly found it helpful, amidst all the other kinds of data we're getting, right, with, you know, opinions from pundits and statements from politicians and news articles where lots of members of Congress are quoted and polls showing what a representative sample of likely voters think. I think that how this actually ends up filtering out to people, even in a way where you're just seeing it in an illustrative fashion, is important. And it's disciplining. It is disciplining for us who are so deep in it that it can be hard to model what is happening outside of our very informationally intense world. This is a point I make a lot, but people who are very invested in politics, they understand the left-right divide. They are pretty good at thinking about how does their counterpart on the other side think. Not perfect, but, but they more or less get it. What we tend to be very bad about is how is somebody who is not heavily invested in politics, who does not listen to every single moment of this all of the time, how is it filtering to them, right? What, what, what happens if you go over the interested, uninterested divide, which in many ways is the more important divide in politics because the people on the other side of that divide are more persuadable, which is true for this group. So I'll have more to say about that at the end. But, but here is audio somewhat edited from the focus group we held. I'm Bob. I'm married with three kids, work in uh, factory work. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm married with two kids, and I'm an eye clinic coordinator for a nonprofit agency. I'm Elizabeth. I'm married. I have two kids, and I do public health work for the state. Hi, I'm Mike. I am married. I have five kids, and I work in banking. Hi, I'm Melissa. I'm married, have two kids, and I work for a local manufacturer in demand planning. Hi, I'm Dan. Uh, I'm married. I have three kids and I sell industrial tools. I'm Becky. I'm married with two kids and I work for a dental insurance company. Hi, my name is DJ. I'm uh, married, one kid, and I'm a clinical recruiter at a national healthcare organization. So tonight we're going to be talking about the impeachment inquiry into uh, President Trump. And I'm just interested in how closely you're following this issue. So I'm going to be interested in how much attention you're paying to it and where you are getting your information about it and if you're talking to friends and family about it. So those kinds of things. So who wants to start off and tell me how much attention they're paying to it and where they're getting their information? I am not paying much attention to it. I'm exhausted. I can't. I don't anymore. I just don't. I was flying the past couple of days and so I just put headphones on in the airport because it was blaring on every single TV. I agree with Elizabeth. Um, I'm kind of exhausted with it. Um, it's always, it seems, politics in general is just very negative. And, you know, I just want to, you know, wipe that away from my life. And I just want to, you know, focus on the positive. And they're always, you know, the media is always stirring things up. Um, and I don't really use a particular source to get my information. Because, um, like I said, I'm just kind of exhausted to your point. So uh, I don't really pay too much attention to it now. So when I look at it, I kind of just catch the news clips and those kinds of things that come in. Um, I don't really talk to a lot of people about it because with politics, they're so charged with I'm right and whoever doesn't believe like me is wrong. And that stresses me out. Um, but I also don't put a lot of 
stock in the media giving us the full truth. So I figure what I'm hearing, it's probably about a third of that. I'm fortunate that I'm able to get my kids on the bus in the morning. And there are about six other parents at the bus stop. We've now turned it into a soap opera. Um, me personally, I try to get information from the major news networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. Um, I don't really look too much online and it's, it's almost become comical, uh, just with more that comes out each day. I follow it somewhat closely and I usually use online sources, Google news apps and things like that. Try to keep a variety of sources, nothing too partisan if I can help it. My next question is if there's been an evolution or change in your interest in this topic, in the impeachment. So I'm wondering, maybe your interest started pretty low and it's gone down, or maybe your interest started high and it's gone down, maybe it's gone up. I'm just wondering, has there been any shifts or changes in your interest and following of this issue of the impeachment? Generally, I believe in government. Um, I work for the government, but I've always believed in process and things happening according to a procedure that's agreed upon, but everything's just moving so rapidly and constantly changing that I I can't keep up with it. And to truly keep up with how I would want to, I need to really follow it. And so I was intrigued, but it's just gone off a cliff and I can't do it. I would say when it first came about, I was like kind of surprised. And I guess my interest was a little bit higher um, just because I was, you know, wanted to see what's going to happen. Very curious. But the media, I feel like everything's dragged on. And in government, we all know that it moves very slowly if anything's going to happen. So um, my thought would be that he would probably finish out the term before they can even come to terms to impeach him, if that makes sense. Um, so last question sort of on the news and media is, um, so this week they were playing the hearing, like you couldn't go on ABC, NBC, whatever. I'm just wondering, visually, did anyone like see the hearings at all? Even if you like turned it off, did anyone see them? Show me your hand just so I know who, okay. One, two, three, all right. So the four of you saw it, I'm just wondering, and if you stay tuned for a couple minutes, did you have, seeing this play out, did it have any effect on you at all? I was actually really kind of angry just because the people that we've elected are behaving like children. And if they were my children, I would have grounded them and put them in their separate rooms because they can't talk respectfully to each other. And that's part of what bothers me so much about this is that you can't trust the media to give you everything straight. But also, I don't know that I trust the politicians we've elected anymore because they seem so quick to jump in sling mud instead of trying to be rational. Can I ask you something about that? What would it mean to be rational? What would, if you saw them being rational, what would it look like for you? To me, it would look like people being able to finish their statements um, without derogatory remarks being made about the person or their party or the party that was being discussed. Um, just an open conversation where people can exchange ideas that are different without feeling the negativity of somebody saying, you're wrong and this is why. So um, I want from you a feeling word. I know that sounds corny, but I'm just, and you've already started using them, but I want to know this process, the impeachment, the visual that watching it happen unfold. Um, I'm interested in what feelings you have towards this. So give me some feeling words to describe its impact on you all. Annoying. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I mean, life is so busy already um, for me, just from a family standpoint, as well as at work. And I mean, this just seems tedious. So, yeah. Uh, mine disappointing. You know, we've elected these officials and this is what they're doing. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing. I actually find it somewhat interesting because the way the Democrats are playing it, they've got Trump completely cornered. So from like a realpolitik perspective, if you will, it's kind of a fascinating thing to watch. There are some people who see this impeachment inquiry as a big moment in time, as historic, as something that's important for a country. And then there are people who said, this is not important. I don't care about this. This is not a big moment in time. I'm wondering what your feeling is about this. Do you think this is historic? Do you think this is a big moment in time for a country or not? Two things. Um, I remember the Clinton impeachment. So um, I think the comment was made earlier that uh, it never materialized before the end of his term. So it almost feels like the same thing's going to happen with Trump. And then on another note, it's almost like a novelty. A neighbor actually went to the Hershey rally the other, you know, this week. And I asked him why. And he said, I want to be able to say that I was in the same building as a president who could possibly be impeached. Like, okay. (laughs) I'd say it's definitely a historic moment because it kind of is going to set the path for which direction the Republican Party is going to move forward. Like, is Trumpism going to continue the nationalism, that kind of a rhetoric? Or is it going to go back to like the the Paul Ryan Republican Party? I don't think anything's going to happen before the election. The election is going to be a referendum. So then if it does... Trump is reelected, then they're going to impeach him. So either way, in a sense, they're going to crush Trumpism. How many of you, just show of hands, think Trump will be removed from office by impeachment? We sort of a half one. Anyone want to explain why they don't think he's going to be removed? I guess I think that there's so much still up in the air that I don't even know how this is going to turn out, to be completely honest. I feel like the things that he's being accused of um, to set the steps in place for the impeachment. If it happened the way that it happened, it's against the law. It's not what he should be doing as a president. I think that there's a lot of precedence of what do we know that has happened in the past? Is it something that another president has done? And I think that that will come into play with a lot of people in thinking whether or not he can be reelected as they're evaluating the situation and the things he's charged with is was it an overstep, but is it an overstep that people feel like they can overlook? This administration, since the beginning, has been in continual violation of the Constitution, statutory and regulatory laws, standards, rules. So nothing has happened to this point, just constantly, whether it is the president, um, I'm not sure about the vice president, but like his staff, they constantly are breaking laws and rules and nothing happens. So why would anything actually happen now? Here's a related question. I'm wondering if you've made up your mind about what should happen. Like you've heard enough or you've read enough articles that in your mind, you've made some kind of decision about this. Anyone sort of made a decision about what they think should happen around this table? I don't even know exactly what all of the articles of impeachment are at this point. So Maybe if I read them, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know if I care. Like, I'm really not sure. So let's get into some of the details. I'm just curious, like, what has, it's following up on yours, like, what, what do you feel you know and what do you feel you don't know? So let's just go over some of that. Um, who wants to explain what they are claiming the president did? Anyone sort of feel like they can, they're clear on at least what is being claimed that he's done? 
wasn't the, the quid pro quo yeah quit well, i'm not gonna try that again but <laughs> with the uh the ukrainian president it was because we're because the war in the donbass with the russians the ukrainians require arms from us and uh trump's basically said if you invent investigate to the president if you investigate hunter uh, hunter biden joe biden's son because he's uh works for the energy company there and uh if, either investigate him or i'm cutting off arms i'm cutting off aid in, in your war against the russians Anyone heard the term high crimes and misdemeanors? Did that sort of come up? I'm familiar with the concept as, as written in the Constitution as a, what is required for impeachment, but I know it's not specifically said what is a high crime or misdemeanor, so it's open to interpretation. And the best precedent we have for that is Andrew Johnson, Richard Nixon, and Bill Clinton. So they're kind of working off that. How do others feel about high crimes and misdemeanors? Do the things that they are saying President Trump did... Do they meet the standard of high crimes and misdemeanors? Yes, and it's not the first, like there's the emollients clause, using office for personal gain. Yes, if it would be a felony somewhere else, that would, to me, be a high crime. Um, Do you think uh, President Trump did anything unethical or illegal? Just based on, again, what you've read, what you've heard, is there part of you thinking this is unethical behavior or illegal behavior? If he did what they're saying that he did do, I think it's unethical. I think that any leader that would do that since the Congress had already approved these um, monies to be spent in the certain way for the Ukraine, for him to not act or to do something to stop that is unethical because that's not in his role. Um, My question and my thought with it, though, is how many times has this happened and nobody has brought it out and it's coming to light simply because of who it is versus us taking this as an opportunity to figure out something broken in our country and fix it. And I think that's why I'm a little more disconnected with this because I'm kind of tired of it just feeling like it's an attack on a single person versus let's fix a problem with our country. Because I think if it had been somebody else, it probably would have just been allowed to go by the wayside. Do you think it's wrong to ask a foreign government or a foreign country to investigate a political rival? Or do you think that in this case was an okay request? I think with the phrase political rival in it, it makes it not okay. I think if there was some other threat to national security, if there was some other reason other than calling it a political competition, then there would be a reason that we should be able to ask other countries that we're working with to assist us with, you know, looking into the companies that they're doing business with. I guess the gray area for me is that we don't know politically behind closed doors what's been okay or what's been the norm up until now. And regardless of if you like Donald Trump or you don't, he's under the microscope more than most politicians. So for that reason, I don't know. Is it okay for, for personal gain? No. I, if That's, like I said, where the gray area is for me. Ethically, it's not okay. But I just don't know. Is that the norm behind closed doors all the time? And because it's Donald Trump, it's all come to light. So that's where I have uh, some issues with it, and I'm undecided. I wonder if any of you can predict what you think the likely outcome of this whole inquiry is going to be. Anyone have a sense of what the outcome of this is going to be? Since the Senate majority is Republican, I would think that they're probably not going to move to impeach at this point in time. Um, And 
if even if they don't want to take up a stance of we don't think that this is right, they're going to say with the limited amount of time left of him being in office, is it worth us spending our attention and time on this versus just letting us get through this and voting somebody else in? And like others have echoed, whether or not it happens this year, if Trump is reelected, they still have all of these things sitting and ready and they haven't actually charged him. So there's no double jeopardy um, type thing. So if that even applies here, but um, as long as they don't actually bring the charges against him, it could just sit and wait until they're ready. You can't predict anything at all. Everything that I've ever believed to be true, everything that I was like, oh, how could this ever happen? Since all of this fiasco in like 2015 started, it's unpredictable to me. So as much as I would like to think or believe something based on rational thought, it doesn't exist. I wonder if you, um, like, my question is, what would you like to see happen? Like, do you have an opinion about what you'd like to see happen? I would like to see him found guilty, but I just want a smooth transition of power no matter what happens. Whether there's ousting from office, whether he gets voted out, whether it's whatever happens. My biggest fear at this point is that if there is not a smooth transition of power, just the country as a whole is like, done on the global scale. And that's my biggest fear. I've stopped thinking about the minutia and just worried about like not dying. And then one last question that came up, um, like prior impeachments, Bill Clinton, Nixon, I'm wondering if that is in your head and that played out at all as this process has gone forward. Who is thinking about those other impeachment processes or lessons learned as this goes forward? I don't think about it much. I think it's in apples and oranges case almost, given that this is a, almost the culture of this country is so much different than it was even 20 years ago. It's much more vitriolic, much more toxic. There's no no compromise anymore, no willing to negotiate. It's all one way or the other. It's just much more partisan than it used to be. So some people feel like the Democrats in Congress shouldn't have started the impeachment inquiry and should have just waited for the election. The election isn't that far away. Let the voters decide what to do with this president. And then there are others who say the Democrats in Congress, they couldn't wait because the president was, in theory, already sort of inviting foreign interference in the election. And so they couldn't wait. They had to act on it. I'm wondering what you feel. Do you wish that they hadn't started this and that they just waited for the election? Or do you feel like, okay, they had no choice and they had to um, because the uh, interfering in our election maybe was already begun? What's your feeling? I think it did have to be done if they're looking out for themselves and they want to stop his reelection as well as a more Republican takeover, because there are so many people who don't know facts and what what is actually occurring and whether they will believe them, whether they will understand, you know, what's happened. More information is getting out there in a way that people can't ignore it. And so it might make more people aware, hopefully. So I think this is going to be a funny analogy, but I kind of look at this like with parenting. As a parent, you have an obligation when it comes to ethical behavior or unethical behavior to hold your kids accountable. And, you know, I think that 
I think they are doing the right thing. I think you have to show that you're going to address issues and not back down from it. So, yeah. If he did what he's being accused of, then I feel there was no choice. If they had him under a microscope waiting for the next bad move or the next bad Twitter comment to happen, that's where, again, I'm just kind of undecided. But ethically speaking, if he did what he's accused of, then yes, they had an obligation to move forward with it. If in fact that's how it happened. I sound kind of like a broken record here, but um, I don't think they had a choice to a lot of people's points. Um, They have to show not only themselves and the government, but the country that someone in the highest level of of our country is is doing something unethical, then something needs to be addressed. We can't just wait another, you know, till November until somebody else is elected. So they had to address it. I don't think it's going to be done, but I think they had to show everybody that um, they're going to address it. So let's talk about the election for a little bit, and then we'll talk about if there's any intersection with the impeachment. One reason all of you were recruited is that you're sort of not quite sure necessarily who you're going to vote. You may be leaning one way or another, but you maybe haven't made up your mind or you're you're sort of that undecided kind of, regardless of what party we are around the table, you're still sort of undecided, seem to be making up your mind. I'm just wondering what factors are going to go into your thinking about who to vote for in 2020? $1,000 a month doesn't hurt as far as determining who to vote for. Say more about that? Well, the Andrew Yang with um, what he calls the Freedom Dividend. I switched to Democrats just so I could vote for him in the primary, given that I think he addresses economic issues that no one else is addressing. I just think about my kid. I only have one now. I have one on the way, and it's scary. It's a scarier world um, you know, I, I think back to when I grew up, I didn't really have any worries. Maybe I was just naive to the fact, but now that I'm grown, I have children and it's, you know, it's a scary thing to, you know, raise your children in this crazy, hectic world. So I think, you know, any president who's going to, you know, do well and, and build up our schools and, and build education, I think I'm all for it. I'd just like to get back to a place where people can work together. Everything is not constantly putting out fires and drama and that we can, look at bigger issues and achieve long-term goals. Um, So like, I just want stability and things to return to a state of decency. I hate to repeat it, but honestly, I mean, kids, it's a huge thing for me. So yes, I do think of their future all the time, their well-being, and just like the environment that they're going to grow up in. He's kind of a loose cannon, in my opinion, and it's causing a lot of rifts. Um, And I mean, to be like super specific, so my kids are mixed. um, I think about that. That's a big thing for me, too. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What are your worries? Well, um, I mean, he's definitely made his comments that have given me reason to pause like in that regard. Just even... um, degrading from a human element towards whether it's towards women or to other races um so that's a that's a huge thing in our house um adults are not acting in a manner in which i would ever let my children act i constantly am saying this is not acceptable behavior and that's what i want is for people to have acceptable behavior not throwing temper tantrums screaming yelling being hateful. Um, Where my kids go to school, there's a big focus on kindness and being kind. No one's being kind. On on the question of the 2020 Democrats, uh, I heard Andrew Yang mentioned, one of the things Donald Trump is at least accused of trying to do here is open investigation into Joe Biden so people feel that he's more corrupt. Um, Have the things you've heard or the impeachment process made you feel different in any way towards Joe Biden? 
Um, I don't feel like Joe Biden is corrupt per se at all, but I don't think he brings anything to the table for our country as a leader going forward. So corruption, I'm not worried about that with Joe Biden. I just don't have any confidence in him doing anything good and taking us to the next level where we need to be as a country. I'm just curious, his son comes up, it's already mentioned Hunter Biden. Any, do you feel like you understood or understand what is being said about Hunter Biden, what he's done, or any feelings around Hunter Biden? I guess that his name is, keeps coming up, and I'm just wondering if you have any feelings about him or what he supposedly did. Short of wondering if there's any truth to claims that behavior by his company may have put national security at risk, I don't feel like using that as a reason to start the impeachment trial was really a big or was really the appropriate thing because I honestly, personally, it would have made no difference to me. I have my own personal reasons that certain candidates wouldn't be a candidate that I would even entertain. My only concern is that there may possibly be some truth to the fact that the dealings of this company in a foreign country that we deal with could have done things to put us at risk. And that concerns me because we live in a world of uncertainty and scary times. I mean, I think Hunter Biden is corrupt, but I don't think Trump pointing it out. It's just like pointing, hey, the sky is blue. You mean trying to tell me the rolling elites of this country do corrupt things? Imagine my shock. Mm-hmm. Biden spent, what, 40, 50 years in politics? Of course he's got shady things going on. And, and Hunter Biden getting this, this job that pays extremely wealthy when he has no background in the industry? I mean, I wish I had that job. It's just status quo with Biden. So there's really nothing there. It's just how things are. It's how the oligarchs rule this country. So in asking what will matter to you and who you vote for in 2020, like no one mentioned the impeachment, I'm wondering if that's going to flavor at all who you vote for or will have nothing to do with it. So explain your thinking. Go ahead. I don't think that the impeachment itself is going to weigh for me. I'm really and truly going to be looking for a candidate that doesn't come in and promise me the moon. I'm looking for somebody with some moderation that can say, hey, we need to bring ourselves back and get down to the real things of the world and bring things back to a place where I feel comfortable because living every day in a life of uncertainty because you don't know what the next move is going to do that impacts your life and people that have no direct connection to your life are making those decisions. So to me, I'm going to be looking for a candidate that really doesn't promise me everything, but says, this is the path I'm going to work on. And it's going to be a path of moderation and mediation. I don't think it's going to matter to me at all. Um, Like you said, I mean, I'm just looking for a candidate who's going to do the right thing moving forward. So this whole process doesn't really mean anything to me. It doesn't for me either. I figure if he makes it that far, he's not going to get voted again. I mean, I don't think many people would vote for him again with everything that's happened. Yeah, I'm kind of there too. Um, uh, if if Trump is a Republican candidate, I just, I know me personally, I'm not going to vote for him. Um, the impeachment has no effect on me at all as far as who I would vote for in 2020. Um, I don't care if it's, I'm not looking party related, Democrat, Republican. I just want a good, stable, strong candidate that's going to lead us in the right direction that cares about health care and um, our kids in the future. And um, so I'm just kind of looking for the right candidate, not party related or anything like that. And the impeachment has no bearing on that whatsoever for me. It seems like most people in this room are saying that they feel like Trump is not going to be reelected. Did most people feel he wouldn't be elected in the first, like the first time around? 
I did not think it would be possible for him to get elected. And I am almost now more sure that he would get reelected after what I've seen of friends, family, the American people. Like, it's energizing people. It's like he's creating more supporters with this, which I'm shocked. (laughs) And to me, that's the scariest part. I kind of feel the same way. You know, again, watching clips of the rally in Hershey this week, you know, you're looking in the crowd at these people and to myself, I'm thinking, what are you thinking? Why are you there supporting this guy? I just, I just can't wrap my head around that. I was an extreme Trump supporter the last time around come from that background. And he's lost a lot of support in that regards because he hasn't followed up in any of his campaign promises. He's done nothing that he ran on that he would do. The most obvious one is the wall. And just uh, the immigration issues, the trade issues, uh, repealing NAFTA, leaving NATO, ending the, the Middle East wars, none of that's happened. Do you, let's talk about just for a second about uh, the interference in our elections of foreign governments. Do you think, are you, is, do you worry about that for 2020 or not? I think that what our country will want to see is somebody who is going to make strides to be somewhat of a peacemaker and kind of do some repair or damage control to what we've seen in the last couple of years. That's the best answer I could give me on that. I'm not worried about foreign interference because I don't think it ever existed. I thought it was just a cope by the left to explain why they lost when the reality is they ran the most worst candidate in American election history in Hillary Clinton. I assume that there's always been foreign interference. Um, Again, on a spectrum, what sort of interference? And the way in which it was done with bots and creating um, alternative information and just the level of deception and what it was taken to, it's a whole new thing. It's different than someone, you know, slipping money or doing slightly shady things that may have been done in the past. It was a whole new level. I don't think anyone expected what happened. I'm just wondering, so we talked about, is the impeachment going to affect your vote in 2020? And around the table, everyone said, no, it's not. Where do you think we're going to be in six months? Do you think the impeachment would have faded away and we're on to something else? I mean, I'm coming back to the earlier question about whether this was an important moment in time, historic moment, or is this something six months from now would have even been forgotten and we've moved beyond it? What's your feeling? I can't name something that happened six months ago because 5,000 million billion trillion things have happened in the past six months. Like the news cycles move so fast, nothing ever gets finished. So, I mean, it was impeachment, so that's a bigger one, but uh, who knows what train wreck, what bomb's gonna explode, maybe literal or figurative. It, it It's so, there's just too much. I think about past impeachments and can I tell you what the articles of impeachments were for any of those presidents? Absolutely not. Mm. Um, and I kind of think that that's where we're going to be as a country again when this all blows over is that eventually people are going to be like, oh, yeah, he did something he wasn't supposed to. And that's where it will end up. I think it could be a historical thing if our Congress and our Senate come together and use it as a way to fix something that is obviously broken. When you hear people that do defend Trump concerning impeachment, what types of things are they saying or how do they defend him or what what kind of rhetoric do they use to try to persuade you that he did nothing wrong? Some of the things we've talked about, like everyone else has done it, um, you didn't catch so-and-so, or things were different. It, it's never anything that is 
what I would call fact-based or something like you could use in a trial. Like, no, even though this happened, it was twisted. There's no logic. It's very much emotion and blaming other people and deflecting. I would second that. Like, I still run in right-wing circles. And a lot of it is just, this is McCarthyism 2.0. This is just a witch hunt. It's just the same type of um, deflections, similar to how Patriots fan defend Spygate, if you will, or the latest accusations, because it very much does remind me of, of of the way sports fans will defend their team no matter what they do. It's just Trump is our guy, I'm, so I'm going to back him no matter what, and there's nothing that can be said that can change my mind, and that's just all demon rat lies and so forth like that. The right-wing people that I hear defending him, um, a lot of it is the same thing. It's a witch hunt. The Democrats don't have a strong candidate. They're afraid he's going to get reelected, so it's part of a ploy to keep him out of office for a second term. And like you said, it is very closely, it reminds me of like a here in Pennsylvania, Steelers, Ravens rivalry type of thing with the left and the right. And it doesn't matter. Facts are off the table. It's this is my team and this is my team. And regardless of any facts, any logic, you're just rooting for who you're rooting for and looking for a good fight or argument almost. So I thought I'd wrap up just by going back around the table. We've now been talking about impeachment and the president for 90 minutes. I'm just wondering where you are on this issue of impeachment and how you feel about it and where you think it's headed. So um, if I can sort of just go around the table and just see where your your final feelings are about it and what you think about it. I think overall it's, you know, what he did, if he did what he did, it's unethical and it should be, um, you know, we, we should be going through this impeachment process. Um, that being said, it's, you know, December, the next elections, you know, 10 months, 11 months away. I don't think it's actually going to happen. Um, and I think, you know, in six months we'll look back and a lot of people will kind of forget about it. Well, I do think it's historic. He is, what, the fourth person to get impeached. I, I just think that it's not going to be that big of a deal because somebody else is going to get elected in November. Or, or like Bob said, if he does get elected, I think he will get impeached um, at that time. I don't know. I, th- I feel like it's for sure. I feel like it's not going to go anywhere. I, I think it's disappointing, as I mentioned. It's sad. It's scary. You know, if it actually does occur where he is removed from office, it's historic. Uh, it's unfortunate, um, and it's also scary to see who will take his place. It's a shame. Uh, he has no political background, uh, so he's just doing whatever he wants, what he thinks is right, and that's not right. My gut check feeling is that I'm just ready for it to be done. I'm ready for it to be over. I'm ready for it to quit consuming everything that everybody has to invest. I don't really think that it's going to make a huge difference regardless Um, If he's impeached now or if he's impeached after being reelected, I don't know that he'll make it through a second term, um, just given his personality traits. So I'm actually hopeful that we get some good candidates for the next election that can give us that more moderate road that I'm looking for. Yeah, I would say um, looking forward to good candidates. Um, I'm curious to see how this plays out. I don't put a lot of stock in it coming to fruition. Um, but I'll be curious to see where we are 10 months from now, ultimately. So I'm mostly excited that there's someone who was a Trump supporter who turned and it gives me a little bit of hope. Not a lot. I mean, one person, but it it gives me a little bit more positivity than I had walking in. Regardless of personal feelings or anything like that, I think as a country, we're spending a ton of money on this impeachment time and money. And I honestly don't think that 
anything is going to come out of it at the end. But we'll see. Is it historic? Yes. The magnitude of how historic depends how it plays out. Um, but like everyone is saying, 10 months from now, I think we won't remember. You'll know it occurred. Will we remember the details? Probably not. I don't think impeachment is going to happen for the election. Um, Democrats effectively have turned Trump into a lame duck president from day one, given the constant investigations. And with the Senate breakdown, unless you have Republicans turn, it's not going to happen. So it's also the Democrats want to see if they can win the election one and gain in the House or the Senate. And then they have the, the fallback that if they can't win in November, they can then uh, impeach him then. So that is a focus group. You can imagine that given what I do for a living, that there's something frustrating about sitting and listening to people in the room say, ah, the media, it's all just so negative. I just don't want it in my life. Like, how can you even figure out what's going on when everybody's just screaming? Or even just hearing people say that they tune out when politicians are yelling at each other. Because politics is an argument. Particularly right now, it's an argument. Particularly in a polarized era, it's an argument. And if by nature of it being an argument, it turns people off, well, then where does that leave you? Because it's not going to not be an argument. How do you cover something as negative as impeachment without it being seen as a negative? How do you cover politicians fighting with each other without it being understood as fighting? And then how do you parse your way through it when all of that noise is making people not want to sit and watch? There's a book I read a couple years back that I think about all the time. It's called Stealth Democracy, Americans' Beliefs About How Government Should Work. It's by John Hibbing and Elizabeth Thiess Morse, who are political scientists. And what they do using a lot of survey data is they show something somewhat unusual and surprising. They show that people actually have very strong views about political process, much more so than policy. And the strong view they have about process is that there's a high level of consensus in America and thus in American politics. And if everybody's just doing the right thing, they're carrying out the will of the voter. If they were, in the words of one of the focus group members, acting like adults rather than like children, there'd be agreement. There'd be consensus. And so they work backwards from whether or not there's agreement and consensus or whether there is uh, division and rancor and fighting and conflict. And if it is that latter, they mistrust it. It becomes itself, that division, that fighting, that rancor, it becomes itself a signal that something is wrong, it is corrupt, that people are under the sway of special interests. And they assume that if all those politicians were just there on the level the way normal people are, that none of this would be happening. And so whether or not there is agreement or division becomes itself the mark of whether or not something is trustworthy or not. But of course, agreement and division is a resource that is controlled simultaneously by both sides. If Republicans all wanted to be pro-impeachment, there'd be no division over it. If Democrats wanted to all support Trump, there'd be consensus. And then people could take that signal. But there is a real argument here. And what you see is that particularly if all you want to do is protect the status quo, that if you could just make politics repulsive, full of conflict, uncomfortable, you can turn away a lot of people. You can turn away the people who are most persuadable. I mean, the people who are going to forge through it who are going to stay tuned in no matter what, they've already made up their minds. That's why they're here. That's why we care, right? We sort of know what we think is right, who we think is right. It is the nature of people who are invested in politics to be invested in a side and in an outcome. Otherwise, what would be keeping you invested in politics? But for people whose investment is lighter or whose interest is lighter, what they often want is the comfort that 
their representatives are doing the right thing. And the way they think they can tell that is, are the representatives agreeing? Are they getting things done? Does it work like every other institution in their lives, right? When a family is peaceful, when a school board or teachers are peaceful, when a corporation is working well, people are not constantly at each other's throats. So there is something very natural about seeing endless conflict as a signal that something is deeply wrong. That is how things tend to work for us. I was thinking about this watching the House floor debate this week. And I, I mean, you heard me saying with Matt, I just found it unbelievably depressing. But part of why I found it so depressing was I was sitting there looking at it, watching it, trying to take on the perspective of some of the people in this focus group. And why you, you would never keep watching it if you didn't have to. And you would never, if you didn't know, if you didn't come in there with a strong view and a deep backing and what has the evidence already been in this, if you hadn't read the witness reports and all the rest of it, how would you parse it? One, one woman comes up, says one thing. The next person says the opposite thing. The next person says the first thing. Another person says the opposite thing again. Like, how would you know? And when something is that confusing, when it seems that impenetrable, when it seems like all there is is fighting and the two sides are so far apart that you can't, that you can't find your way forward unless you were an expert or could give it all your time, of course what you do is turn off from it. Of course what you do is say, it's not for me. And so one of the ways that politics resists reform is that it turns off the people needed to reform it. It's a trope that a lot of people don't want to talk about politics at the dinner table. Um, in stealth democracy, they note that 26% of everybody in their survey agreed, many of them strongly, that just the very idea of political argument made them feel uneasy. They didn't want to be part of it. People don't like conflict. And yet we're in an age where conflict is the central reality of American politics. That is what it means for things to be polarized. You can read all about it in my coming book, Why We're Polarized. And in a world where conflict is for many people the problem, where consensus is for many people the signal of things going okay, that's going to be tough. I don't have a stirring ending here. I watched what happened this week, and what I see is a system that for all kinds of reasons is in a state of breakdown. Not collapse. We're not collapsing. But we do not have the modes or methods to guarantee accountability in the conditions when we need it. I don't think that is going to push us to the brink right now, but it could one day. And if it does, we will look back and say, yeah, we, we could see this one coming. It was clear. We saw all the drivers. We saw all the forces. We saw all the trends. We just didn't quite have a way out of them. What you saw this week was the immovability of it all. And I want to be very clear. That's not both sides are doing it. I think the Republican Party has just gone off the ledge. And I recognize that even saying that is polarizing, right? That's the bind of polarization. To declare clearly what is happening makes you a polarizing force. To say on it, like, I don't know if you read Donald Trump's six-page letter, if you haven't, do it, that he sent to Nancy Pelosi. But to just describe that letter clearly is polarizing. And then you have people coming up and saying, you're condescending to the president and to his supporters. Well, that letter should be disqualifying, right? We should have higher standards than that. So the idea here is not that both sides are doing the same thing. Um, they're not. But if you have not already decided which side is right, it's very hard to figure out what which side is right. Um, it's very hard to figure out the truth of what both sides are doing because in the end, just a bunch of people just talking, just making their arguments, and everybody seeming full of conviction 
many of them very eloquent. And what are you going to judge them on? Performance? You need something that disciplines the system better than that. But right now, there is no discipline on the system. And the very nature of how the system has become is making a lot of people want to turn off from it entirely. In many ways, there's something very fitting about the idea that Donald Trump has been impeached, but he's probably going to be acquitted, that the impeachment articles may not even move on to the Senate, at least not for a little while, that that, that state of deep indecisiveness of a radical decision, proper in my view, but a radical decision in one direction from one part of the system is met by complete indifference or the utter opposite from the other part of the system. That is, it's a perfect metaphor for the age. And so the status quo prevails, even as much as many people hate this status quo. It's a tough spot to be in, but at least right now, we can see it very clearly. Uh, Impeachment Explained is engineered by Cynthia Gill. This researched by Rajat Karma, produced and edited by Jeffrey Geld. Our theme music is by John Natchez. Our EP is Liz Nelson. And we're going to be taking a break for the holidays. So we will see you back here on January 11th.